Right, I think we're going to start. Uh, thank to everybody for coming. This is actually a seminar which is supposed to be part of um, the Cardi State's uh, Research Center seminar series, just a bit uh, um, expanded uh, compared to our usual format um, and at a different time for technical reasons. Uh, today here we have um, uh, Alex and Felix who are two writers and uh, researchers based in Kandahar. Um, will be talking about a book just released about um, one of the members of the Taliban, but that is going to be kind of pretext to, to talk about various other aspects of southern Afghanistan politics, society, uh, and doing research uh, in southern Afghanistan. Um, I'll just briefly introduce them. Um, they actually, as far as I know, the only two Western um, researchers based in Kandahar at present. There are a number of projects going on, including another book by the same author, which uh, they are editing, which is going to be a more um, scholarly, if you like, uh, history of the Taliban. Uh, they also have a number of other projects uh, in cooperation with uh, um, Western um, universities, in particular with the Center for International Cooperation in New York. Uh, they have a project about the links between Al-Qaeda and Taliban. And they're also working at the oral history of uh, southern Afghanistan the last uh, 40 years. 40 years. Uh, so um, they're quite busy doing research there, and they will tell us also uh, how it feels like and what kind of constraints they face uh, in their work. Um, just uh, two words about the actual author of the book. Um, he's not here, he can't be here because he's actually uh, under sanctions for the United Nations, so he can't travel outside Afghanistan, but they will uh, talk about him uh, in their presentation, so I, I don't think I need to, to elaborate on this. Um, Alex is actually often in London because he's uh, uh, a doctoral student at King's College. Um, Department of War Studies, doing his uh, doctoral thesis there. So, for the moment being, I, I, I'll stop and I'll let them start the presentation. Um, I don't think we need. You I think you can all hear me? This, this there is that key. one should also maybe work. Okay, we'll see. You, you can get this one if you like. Uh, Felix and I want to talk about uh, three things today. Um, we're just going to talk for, for 25 minutes or, or, or half an hour, um, and then, then hopefully we can move on to, to, to questions. Uh, we want to begin, as, as Antonio mentioned, by taking a, a, some snapshots from, from Mullah Zaif's book, um, and his life, which, which really tells a lot about what's going on uh, or what went on in Kandahar uh, in the past um, and, and is really representative of, of the experience of a lot of people in southern Afghanistan. We then want to touch very briefly on, on, on what's going on in Kandahar now. Uh, we just came back a week or ten days ago and, and we've been living there permanently for the last two years, so, so perhaps it's, it's interesting to, to, to mention a few things on that. And, and since we're, we're here uh, as part of the seminar, uh, we thought we should talk a bit on 
the problems of, of doing research in southern Afghanistan um, and uh, some thoughts about, about the kind of things that we feel are important to be done uh, and, and that still need to be done in terms of, uh, in terms of that research. So beginning by talking about Mullah Zaif. Uh, the, first, the first thing uh, I wanted to, to, uh, to talk about is, is, is an event he describes uh, in the book, the, the, the Battle of Sangisar in, in 1988. Uh, this was uh, one of the last battles before the final battle in, in Argandab district uh, in Kandahar between the Mujahideen and the Russians. Um, and uh, there are some features of that which, which I think... Uh, uh, are interesting uh, to talk about uh, about the 1980s experience in general. Um, the intensity of the fighting uh, in southern Afghanistan, I think, is often forgotten. We we tend to think about Massoud, we tend to think about the northeast, uh, other places, but in fact, in, in southern Afghanistan, it was uh, was an equally bleak situation, uh, and there were very large numbers of, of mujahideen uh, groups uh, involved, uh, and particularly uh, when we're thinking about. Um, forces on the ground now, uh, it's very important to, to look back at the 1980s experience uh, for, uh, t to shed some light on this. In this battle of Sangisar, uh, Mullah Zaif himself uh, participated. Uh, he would have been 20 years old by then. Um, and uh, he participated with Mullah Omar. Uh, in fact, this was the battle in which Mullah Omar uh, lost his eye. Uh, he describes how Mullah Omar peeked out uh, behind a, a wall and a piece of shrapnel uh, came and, and, and took out its eye. Uh, later on in the evening, uh, he describes how, how, how they were all singing, and, and, and one of uh, Mullah uh, Fazullah was, was eating on an old uh, um, uh, kind of rice pot, which they used to, to cook, and they were reciting poetry. Uh, and Mullah Omar the next day very much wanted to, to go out and fight, uh, despite him losing his eye, but the others prevented him from doing so. Um, so yes, Mullah Omar, Mullah Zaif, uh, Mullah Ubaidullah, the, the, the defense minister at the time, um, all of these people uh, were, uh, were involved in this battle. Uh, and of course, one of the things which comes out in the, in, in the book is, is, is that uh, uh, the Taliban, uh, as a group, were, were very much active and present uh, as a group called the Taliban. They were known as Taliban during the 1980s. Uh, we tend to uh, this is often glossed over, uh, particularly in some of the things um, uh, written, uh, suggesting that the Taliban were a, a Pakistani creation in 1994, uh, and really there was no kind of prehistory to that. Uh, this prehistory is absolutely vital to understanding uh, who the Taliban are. Uh, the Taliban were different groups and, and distinguished from uh, from the other Mujahideen groups because uh, there was more emphasis on, on, on the religious aspects. Of course, they were religious students. Um, and there was also a, a kind of learning and teaching aspect to, to what they did. If you were, if you were a talib, you had to, to, to obey the, their, their precepts, um, and, and you had to, to teach other people uh, who, who were at uh, lesser degrees of religious understanding, and you would receive instruction from, from other people. So it wasn't just about fighting or power or money, as, as, as some of the other Mujahideen uh, groups uh, emphasize. Um, all these people, Mullah Zaif, Mullah Omar, Mullah Ubaidullah, uh, and, and, and lots of other names, uh, were um, uh, part of this, this network during the 1980s. Um, and these networks are absolutely vital to, 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 to understanding these people now. Uh, it's, it's absolutely the same networks which they, uh, they rely on and they talk to um, uh, in the present day. So, so uh, 
these kind of things uh, need to, to, to be mapped out and, and understood if, if you want to, to figure out what's going on on the ground now. Uh, second small glimpse, uh, in early 1994, uh, uh, Mullah Zaif uh, and, and a few of his friends went to visit Mullah Omar. Mullah Omar's wife had just given birth uh, to, to, to their first son. Um, and Zaif mentions to, to, to Mullah Omar, and he, he suggests uh, building up uh, a force or a movement uh, to, to, to move against uh, the, the, the crime, uh, the, the, the chaos, uh, and, and the, the, uh, uh, the problems of, of, of uh, uh, military commanders who were preying on the people in southern Afghanistan. Um, uh, Mullah Zaif suggests that Mullah Omar uh, should, should maybe be the leader because he's, he's relatively independent and he wasn't so much involved in, in a big way as, as other commanders were. Um, Mullah Omar then says, um, uh, why didn't you accept the, 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 the leadership of the movement? Uh, of course, the, uh, to become uh, a leader was, was, was problematic and, and, and filled with all sorts of risks, particularly in at that time in 1994, I don't think anyone would have uh, predicted the, the, the growth of, uh, of a movement of this kind. And there are all sorts of reasons why, why it should and, and, and would have uh, failed. Um, then, just to fast forward to, to, to the autumn of 1994, um, 40 or 50 people met in this mosque, um, the, the White Mosque, uh, also in Sangisar, the same location where that battle happened during the 1980s. Um, and they took an oath. Uh, to support Mullah Omar to, to, to found a movement based on security and justice to provide it for, for the local people. Uh, this oath is, is incredibly important now. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why, why Mullah Omar um, uh, still is able to, to, to um, yeah, hasn't been betrayed. Uh, and and, and uh, Felix will, I think, touch on that uh, in, in the things he talks about. Right. The next thing I want to talk about, a little bit fast forward, the Taliban came up and they, they finally captured Kabul and so forth. And Mullah Zaif's story actually outlines a little bit what happened to the movement coming out of this very small group who had a very limited idea of what they wanted to do at, at the start. It was really about clearing the local streets and bringing, bringing security to the, the local communities. Um, they all of a sudden became this national movement, more or less. Um, Mullah Zaif himself held several positions within uh, these governmental structures that em emerged slowly. He was uh, for a year in Herat where he took part, took care of the banking system. Um, his whole experience, and, 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 and you will, when you read the book, you will see that, that he, had, he was kind of like a reluctant civil service in a way. He, 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 he took over a job and then he, he would want to retreat back to his village and from time to time he did. He went back to his village and then would be called up on by Mullah Omar again and say, you sworn oath to me and you have to stand beside me, and then would be uh, put into another position. The, the, the little snapshot I want to talk about is when um, Mullah Zaif was working um, at the Ministry of Defense. He was actually the administrative director of the Ministry of Defense in Kabul, and was for nine months at a time the, uh, the acting minister as well. Uh, what we learn in this, in, in this small snapshot is, is really that by that time where we had these institutions under the Taliban's rule, really the, 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 the movement had changed. It kind of had outgrown its own capacity. There were a lot of new people. There was a lot of internal struggle. He describes how arriving in Kabul, taking his position, uh, was really he entered a world of conflict between individual uh, ministries, between individuals within the ministry. And what we learn out of this is a bit uh, how much 
uh, discussion was going on within the Taliban about policy. Uh, specifically, when he points out he was tasked um, to go through the old archives of the communist times and compile a list of Afghans who had received a medal of honor, basically for killing the enemy, which was in that card, uh, Mujahideen. Uh, compiling lists like this obviously would normally go to the effect of seeking these people out afterwards and putting them to what the Taliban received to be justice. Uh, um, he was very conflicted about this idea. He didn't like to be involved in, in the entire military side, and he actually unofficially resigned and returned to his village again um, and, and was called up by Mullah Omar um, after a couple of months and said, hey, you have to go back. You swore an oath. And he says, I don't want to have anything to do. With, with the ministry of with anything of the military side anymore, and then he took several other positions um, within other ministries. He was uh, in the Ministry of Mines and Industries, responsible for northern Afghanistan for for development projects, and then finally, which is the next little thing I want to talk about, he became the ambassador uh, to Pakistan. That was also an appointment he wasn't aware of. He heard himself on the radio. Um, being announced through Mullah Omar that uh, Mullah Abdul Zalam Zaif is uh, the new ambassador to Pakistan and, and, and uh, he pretty much was more or less immediately dispatched and, and took over his position there. Um, that's where he's most renowned from because he gave a lot of press statements, a lot of press conferences and became in a way the public face of the Taliban to that time. Um, he was often the first port of call for, 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 for the international engagement in a way. Um, what I specifically want to talk about is, is the negotiations around Osama bin Laden. Uh, years pre to 9-11, when he went in there, that was the main t subject of concern for the U.S. and for Saudi Arabia. They were already putting immensely pressure on the Taliban to hand him over, and the Taliban actually, and, and Mullah Zaif details that in his book, um, put forward a whole number of prep, um, you know, uh, possible solutions they saw as being possible. The first one was obviously a trial to be held by the Supreme Court of the uh, Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan, where the U U.S. could put forward their concerns and their, their, their facts and so forth, and Osama would be present and would be trialed on there. If that wouldn't be something the U.S. could support because they didn't see the Emirates as a legitimate government and so forth, um, they suggested uh, a new court to be set up, chaired by three um, attorney generals from different Islamic countries, um, positioned in a fourth Islamic country where Osama would be present, the Taliban would guarantee that, and he could be trialed there. Um, if that also wouldn't be possible, they had a third solution where they just said, we're going to curb all this activity, take uh, all this equipment away from him, and, and basically isolate him to a degree that he couldn't possibly do anything anymore. That third thing actually was something that had already happened to an extent. The, the Osama bin Laden had made several statements after Mullah Omar and the leadership had told him not to, to be that public anymore about what he was talking about. And, and, and it was, was, was a matter of huge discussion within the movement. There was disagreement in the senior leadership about how to handle the whole, the whole subject of Osama bin Laden. Um, in the end, 9-11 happened, and, and as Mullah Zaif says in his book, communications completely broke down, obviously. Uh, the Taliban also in the previous times were isolated to, to a degree already subject to sanctions um, and only uh, legitimized by three other countries. Uh, so that was kind of the situation and, and, and the snapshot we get out of this. In the end, Mullah Zaif, 9-11 uh, took place and Operation during Plin started. Um, Mullah Zaif was in Islamabad at the time. He uh, held a diplomatic passport. Uh, Pakistan was a government who had uh, recognized the Taliban as a legitimate government. Uh, 
Nevertheless, he was detained by the ISI and handed over to the American forces. He spent over four years in detention centers. Uh, they first took, first took him to a, to a battleship, then to two detention centers within Afghanistan and Bagram and uh, Kandahar, and then he was transferred to Guantanamo, where uh, he spent more than three years. What, what, what the little thing is I want to talk about is the, the, the thing that happened when he was released. The, the process of while he was being there, he first heard about that he would be released a year, more than a year before it actually happened. And, and, and really the, the, the experience of, of Guantanamo is something that shapes his, his, his viewpoint on foreign governments and military organizations till the present day. The, 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 the deception and, and the dishonesty uh, which would played, played, was played out in these interrogation sessions and so forth is really something which has deeply affected him in, in his view. Um, so when he first heard about this and said to other prisoners at the time, you know, oh, I heard I'm going to get released, they, they actually laughed at him for believing that he would be released. Um, finally, it took a year till, till a delegation came and kind of said, good, you're actually going to be released. And they came with a camera team and they came with a letter, uh, which they said he needed to sign on camera. That letter stated that he would confess to the criminal charges we brought against him, that he was a member of al-Qaeda anti-Taliban movement, that he would promise uh, not to, do, to take part in any terrorist activities in the future, uh, that he uh, would, ex you know, the, the prisoner never to participate in any of other anti-coalition or anti-American activities, um, and if the prisoner would violate any of these terms, obviously he would be detained again for life, without any to revoke. Uh, the reaction to this was that he said he was very angry, and he didn't sign. He said, I'm an innocent and I'm not a criminal. I never have or nor will I accept any of these charges that are brought against me. Where, who, who is the court who has trialed me? Where are the facts? I have never taken part in any of this, really. And um, secondly, and that's, that's a very strong statement, he said, I was a Talib, I am a Talib, and I always will be a Talib, but I have never been part of Al-Qaeda. Um, finally, there was a, a huge discussion about him having this, this outbreak um, and, and, and voicing his opinion in such strong terms on camera, I must say. Uh, they needed him to sign something. And they said, okay, then you write something that you can sign. And, and he ended up saying that, I am not a criminal. I'm an innocent person. Pax and the United States of America have betrayed me. I was detained for four years without specific accusations. I'm writing this out of obligation and stating that I'm not going to participate in any kind of anti-American activities or military actions. Wassalam. That is the statement he finally signed, and that is the statement that brought him out of Guantanamo. Today he's living in uh, Kabul. Um, he, he tries more and more to withdraw from politics. It has been a hugely frustrating experience. One has to remember that any, any person you're going to meet in southern Afghanistan or in Afghanistan at large who is of the age from 40 to 45 has lived more or less all his life in a conflict situation um, till this very day. So that kind of wraps up the, the few snapshots we wanted to share out of, out of this book. And I um, want to talk now about uh, the next part, which is sort of our viewpoint from being on the ground in Kandahar and from our friends and what, what the situation is like, what we see. Because it's, it's, it will be a very different narrative from what we will hear out of military organizations or out of journalist reports who normally come down to southern Afghanistan embedded. Thank you. Uh, we have to begin at this point the, 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 of, of the levels of violence, I think. Uh, 
in southern Afghanistan, the situation is extremely bad, uh, particularly in Kandahar City, where, where we live, but, but uh, more or less everywhere you go, apart from certain isolated incidents. Uh, in Kandahar City, every single uh, prominent target has been attacked over the past year and a half, uh, sometimes more than one time. Uh, assassinations happen on, on a, uh, once every couple of days, uh, more or less wherever and whenever uh, anyone wants to carry them out. Uh, this can be of tribal elders or, 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 or uh, uh, government-affiliated mullahs or uh, uh, government employees. Um, it, it, it's quite cheap to, to hire someone to kill someone else uh, if, you, if you want it. Uh, I think somewhere between $1,000 and $5,000, uh, depending on how important that person is. Uh, kidnappings happen on a daily basis, mainly for, for, for uh, economic reasons, financial reasons, people uh, kidnapping others for money, uh, but sometimes politically as well. Uh, there's, a, in general, an atmosphere of fear and, and, and unpredictability. Uh, people don't like to come out in the evenings. Uh, when they wake up in the morning, uh, they never know whether they will still be alive at the end of the day. There's this saying, uh, uh, common saying, when you, when you say goodbye to someone, uh, I'll see you soon if we're still alive. Uh, this is uh, uh, this started. Uh, pe people started saying this uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, uh, and people are leaving Kandahar. Uh, people are, are trying to get to Kabul. They're trying to find a way to, to other foreign countries. Uh, young people are, are uh, in general, uh, trying to find any way possible to, to leave the city, whether it's uh, studying English courses or, or whatever. The, the, the goal is is to leave. In terms of the Afghan government. Uh, deep corruption uh, ingrained there. A recent UN report said that 61% of uh, ordinary people have an experience of, of corruption in their daily lives in southern Afghanistan. I think that figure is probably a lot higher. Uh, this, of course, has led to, 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 to the outburst and expansion of, of a Taliban makeshift justice system and, and, and courts. Uh, you have three more or less permanent ones in Kandahar province alone uh, and lots of mobile and, and impermanent ones. Uh, the police force uh, are hated by everyone. Uh, and we all saw what happened in August uh, with the elections which left the Afghan government uh, and uh, the international community and, and, and some of the institutions associated with that, particularly the UN, uh, without uh, any trace of, of legitimacy. Uh, people, you always have this, this theme of the disconnect between what politicians and, and institutions say in Kabul uh, and what the local people see. So the local people saw their friends participating and, and creating this, this fraud. Uh, they saw no one coming out to vote. And then they see the head of the UN uh, uh, at the end of the day saying that this was a, a great day for democracy. Uh, this, this disconnect is, 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 is very much a, a strong theme. Uh, the political process... Uh, Internally and, and locally, quite aside from uh, from foreigners, uh, is at a complete standstill. Uh, uh, this has particular relevance to things like negotiations. Now, um, the tribes feel sidelined. Tribal elders who, who might feel that they could get involved uh, don't want to because previous initiatives have failed quite spectacularly. Um, uh, there's very little access to to justice, and, and the government has has no reach into into the districts really at all. In terms of the Taliban, uh, uh, out in the districts, they are uh, very much winning the propaganda war. Um, despite this, this recent uh, BBC survey, which said that the, the people on the whole uh, didn't really support the Taliban, and, and, and the, I think the, the number was 10%, uh, uh, I think actually uh, in the districts that, that figure is much higher, uh, particularly you know, when, when, when you're talking about uh, implicit support. Um, 
at least on things like justice, the Taliban do what they uh, they do, what they they say they're going to do, uh, particularly when it's held up against the government, um, and they have a very strong track record of. Um, picking certain very local uh, conflicts or uh, disputes and so on um, to, uh, to win over uh, local people. Um, there was a very nice example in January uh, where there was voter registration uh, before the elections last January, January 2009. Um, and the police uh, were charging uh, local people in, in, in certain village in Maiwand uh, to come and, and, and get voter registration cards. So what the Taliban did is they took the entire area, they forced the police out, and they welcomed the people in and said, come and register for the elections. Uh, we don't want you to be uh, preyed on by the police. We're going to, to secure this area for you. Uh, this, this was a, a very popular move. Uh, and maybe it goes counter against uh, what, what, what you think about the, 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 the Taliban's attitude to the elections and so on. But in these local instances, uh, there are a lot of things like this. I want to talk, this is a picture of Kandahar city, uh, pretty much the city center. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, the foreigners view and what's happening about uh, uh, how to fo where the focus is right now and, and, and what's normally known as like the regional command south. Um, Kandahar city is pretty much on the focus uh, of, of the attention by now. Uh, we, heard, we have recently held a lot of talks and uh, a lot of people are talking about the battle of Kandahar. You've heard that in the media and, 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 and Fallujah is often often mentioned, uh, it's probably, hopefully, not going to come to that. The fact is that they have refocused on Kandahar. They're still trying to establish a ring of stability around the city. They are, they are focused on the, the main roads, which is uh, part of the ring road and the highway 4, which connects Kandahar city to Pakistan. Um, we've, we're now hearing a lot about a population-centric counterinsurgency strategy uh, in terms of what we see on the ground. One thing should be remembered from our personal perspective, from, from, from having lived in Kandahar for a while, uh, we believe that 20 to 30 percent, max 30 percent of the people actually live in anything that could be comparably an urban center like Kandahar city. It's a hugely rural place. People live in villages. They live outside, spread out in the districts, which are often very hard to access. There are no roads. Uh, in a lot of instances, it takes days to get there. Uh, that being said, when we talked about population-centric coin strategy or counterinsurgency strategy, uh, we have really the feeling, in a way, that that history is repeating itself a little bit. Um, a, a lot of the a lot of the processes which have been ongoing remind one oneself very much of the 80s war um, and the problems that the Russians encountered. It's the same spots we are fighting in right now as the Russians did. It's Mahalnajat, it is Mirasmina, it's Panjwa and Jaray, and Argandab. Um, that is that is actually the exact hit list of where the Russians were fighting at the time. And uh, we encounter a lot of the same problems as well, where the Russians were forced off the main road and established the road through the desert in order to avoid being targeted by ambushes and bombs. It's exactly the same thing that happened to the Canadian troops a couple, like about a year ago. Um, the fighting by now, we came back about 10 days ago. Um, there has been a huge increase of, of troops. A lot of the troops which have been already deployed and um, have come to Kandahar. And uh, there is a notably noticeable impact. Uh, by now, every night, uh, we have fightings, fighting for, for half an hour, an hour, a uh, very intense firefight and, and uh, exchange uh, barely a kilometer away from the city center. That is a, a, a definite increase. Like We had nothing like that about six months ago. 
uh, also obviously we have a huge increase of, of convoys and so forth. So uh, what does that actually mean to the people who are in that picture in the background? And that, that is the Afghan population. Um, one of the things which, which, which are very noticeable is that, that, that our message doesn't get across because we don't really have one. What are we uh, to do? Hillary Clinton gives a big speech uh, in the inauguration of Karzai about how corruption has to be targeted and then very little materializes and we, we, we hear the ne next thing. Uh, if, you, if you see how that resonates on a local level uh, where people first get fired up about a statement like this, uh, and, and really think something is going to change and then see that there is very little that happens in terms of implementation or strategy or in any announcement which follows up on this. Uh, that, that is very, that leads to a lot of disillusionment. We have McChrystal arguing for a surge and for more troops and bigger commitment and then we have President Obama talking about uh, withdrawing its, his troops and in, in, in starting in the summer of 2011. Um, that also gives very mixed messages. That makes creates a lot of insecurities around people. When people when people first heard that the Americans are going to leave in 2011, a lot of our friends, the immediate reaction was, "Right, we have about two years' time to make money and get out of here." Um, that 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 was kind of how it resonated. Um, people are leaving, as Alex said earlier. Uh, the the years of empty promises also like we have we have lost a lot of our legitimacy like we've been there for for like the operation started nine years ago there has been an increasing increasing amount of, of interest in southern Afghanistan since 2005 2006 with more and more troops every year uh, um, and it's had, there has very little materialized in, in all these talk which has been ongoing about democracy and, and, and services and the government and all the good things for people in the district nothing has happened like actually they're in a, in a, in a worse situation now um, in a lot of cases, a lot of ways. that has also given rise to a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, that, that is something uh, a lot of places in the world are prone to. Southern Afghanistan as well. By now, a lot of people actually do not believe that the Americans do want to defeat the Taliban. Even educated people, uh, friends of ours who wouldn't have made any such statement a year ago, by now believe that that there is no real interest in in, in defeating uh, uh, the current insurgency. And, and I mean the, the the background idea behind that, and somehow is how how can America and uh, and all the other nations, you know, 41 nations who are in Afghanistan with with all their military might, uh, the, the the CIA and so forth, not are not able to defeat a, a few thousand people with Kalashnikovs. Um, that doesn't really resonate on a local level, and 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 gives rise to a lot of fear about what is ongoing. Um, this sort of like wraps up the little picture we wanted to give you about Kandahar and, and how and a few of the things we're seeing from from on the ground and, and what, what our friends are talking about actually um, and, and, and the problems they're facing. And now we would like to explore just for a brief five minutes, hopefully, hopefully less, um, uh, the, the the problems with with research and and and, and uh, the the current academic debates about various subjects concerning southern Afghanistan. Uh, I just want to start by talking about something which uh, the general public has the most exposure in terms of uh, research, uh, in quotation marks, uh, in, in, in southern Afghanistan, particularly this, this idea of surveying and polling. Uh, there was, a, as I mentioned earlier, this, this recent uh, ABC-BBC survey, uh, in fact, which, which has happened every year, and there are various other instances of surveying. Uh, it's something Antonio has touched on in his own book, um, uh, on, on the, the neo-Taliban insurgency, but I think it needs to be said again, uh, especially given the, the fact that, that these surveys are always taken as uh, statements of fact about public opinion. Uh, and I think the, the, uh, 
they're extremely problematic, uh, both in how they're conducted and, and, and the conclusions uh, that they come to. Um, Surveying in southern Afghanistan is, is a deeply flawed way of, of, of trying to, to, uh, to guess or estimate uh, public perceptions uh, of, uh, of the military, of, of the government, all sorts of things. Uh, for a start, most of these surveys um, uh, are only um, uh, talking to, to, to a relatively small group of people. This, this BBC, um, ABC survey, in fact, only spoke to 1,500 people across the whole of Afghanistan. Um, uh, most of these survey teams are unable to travel to districts. Um, uh, there's a predominance of educated people in, in those that they talk to. Uh, quite often they survey journalists and, 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 uh, in the local area or, or the police chief or, or, or uh, people working in the government. Uh, uh, this idea of, of, of random polling and, and showing up at someone's house in, in, in southern Afghanistan simply doesn't work. Uh, when you meet someone for the first time, uh, I never expect that they're necessarily going to tell me their real opinion. Uh, it's maybe the second or the third time that you meet him uh, after you've had dinner and, and, and met, met his friends and, and, and talked about your own life and all sorts of other things uh, that then he actually starts to tell you what he really wanted to, to, to talk about. Um, the companies who are, who are employed to, to do this kind of polling and surveying in southern Afghanistan are uh, uh, flawed, uh, to, to, to use a, a light word. Um, uh, we know a lot of the people who, who do these surveys, and it's two guys in a basement with an Excel spreadsheet typing in uh, numbers and, and, and responses. Um, you might say we need, we need something, we need some way of, 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 of uh, assessing what people think. Um, yes, that's fine, but uh, if, if you're going to use these numbers and if you're going to uh, quote them, you really need to, to, to state uh, the, 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 the flawed premises on which, uh, on which, on which they're based. Um, in terms of problems of, of research uh, in, in Kandahar and, and southern Afghanistan in, in a more general sense, uh, information is one of the, 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 the most prized commodities. Um, the difficulty of access, the difficulty of finding out real information and facts uh, mean that um, whoever has, has the information, uh, it gives you a lot of influence. Um, within the local culture and, and, and society, uh, understanding the possible impact of, of, of questions, uh, questions that you ask, uh, being aware of, of the implications of things uh, is absolutely vital. Uh, and, and spending long extended amounts of time uh, in the field talking to people uh, is also absolutely essential. Uh, short trips, it, it, it doesn't really work. You'll get some kind of answers. Uh, but uh, the, the, the value of, of, of extended periods, uh, I think, shouldn't be, shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, it also, uh, there's also this issue of, of how information is used in southern Afghanistan. Uh, because of the fact that there are very few people, uh, whether the only people permanently based uh, in Kandahar and in, in southern Afghanistan, I think, uh, uh, because of the, 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 lack of, the complete lack of information, and, and the journalists, when they come down, they, they mainly do, uh, they're embedded with the U.S. military. Uh, this is extremely problematic because if I put out a report or if I write something even on my blog, uh, amazingly, uh, about a certain district, and, and let's say you know, there's a certain commander who's, who's getting it right or something, the next day uh, you'll find Americans going there uh, and, and, and talking to this guy. It'll be the first time they've ever heard of this. They want to learn about it. Very, very small uh, pieces of research can have uh, uh, absolutely uh, um, wide effects um, 
and this, this is, is, is extremely compromising in terms of uh, research independence because you know, one week earlier I was there talking to, to a guy and then the next week the Americans are there. People make a connection even if there is no connection. Uh, this is also a problem with, with, with the new human terrain teams, this, this blurring between, uh, between the military uh, and the academic world I think is, is extremely problematic. Um, the only way uh, you can try and limit this uh, is, is to be somewhat transparent in, uh, uh, in questioning and in, in talking to people, uh, explaining your objectives, returning for multiple meetings. The fact that we live in southern Afghanistan with Afghan friends uh, helps a lot. Uh, if someone has a problem with us, they can always come and find us and, 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 and talk to us about that. It's not, it's not as if we're, we're vanishing. And also following up with, uh, with the kind of things that you wrote uh, uh, about and, and, and as a basis of, 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 uh, of what you talk to people. Uh, in terms of the research that, that, that I think we, 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 we think it's, it's important that needs to happen in southern Afghanistan, there's a lot of historical and contextual knowledge uh, that is, is, is almost completely missing. Uh, uh, there are a whole amount of, of, of sources and newspapers and magazines from, from the Taliban time during the 1990s which have never been translated. We just spent the last three months uh, buying up thousands and thousands of copies of, of, of old newspapers and magazines. That's something that you absolutely need to start with. Uh, you also need to talk to, to the people who are involved. Uh, as Antonia said, we're involved in, in, in working on an oral history of southern Afghanistan. And we, we put together a list of, of, of three or four hundred of the, of the top uh, commanders and, and tribal elders during the time. Uh, and when we uh, went to interview some of these people, uh, they said, uh, thank you for coming. I've never spoken to, this, to these events uh, to anyone before uh, in my life, even my friends uh, within Afghanistan. And I think it's absolutely amazing uh, that we're nine years uh, in, in Afghanistan, in southern Afghanistan, uh, and uh, this person has, has never told his story, and it's not as if these people are, 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 are small fish in, in any way. Um, we also need to understand where we are now, the, 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 what's going on around us. Uh, this is missing. Uh, it came, came up a little bit in, in the American debate about uh, finding metrics to, to, to understand uh, progress. Uh, I'm still not really seeing this, uh, this happening. We need to understand uh, our own institutions, the effects uh, of, uh, of our presence in southern Afghanistan, uh, particularly the issue of money and, and, and what this does and, and create in terms of creating local conflicts. Uh, Andrew Wilder at, at Tufts University is, is doing a, a very interesting study on this, uh, not necessarily in the, in the context of the South, um, but it's, it's, it's something that, that needs, to, needs to be happening. Right. I think... Well, we've just what Alex just said. Um, uh, one of the main points we kind of like need to take out of this is that uh, we don't really know the place very well um, in general. I think that's also something we still think. Um, we have very limited uh, uh, sources about the 80s and 90s. As Alex said, there's a, if you think about it, the, the, the many reports which have come out, um, they're often based themselves in, 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 in the few publications that are out there. And, and, and for example, it's it's most definitely not enough to, to quote Ahmed Rashid today if you want to talk about the Taliban anymore. It's a vital book, but there are far more things out there, and uh, it's not enough just to rely on these, these few accounts, which, which often are, are, are put together in a very different way from, from how research uh, normally is conducted, maybe. There, there is a huge disagreement about the most basic facts about Afghanistan. 
Uh, if you look up, if you want to go online and you go and uh, visit several websites and then download reports and ask yourself how many people live in the place, you will come up with numbers that range anywhere between 26 and 33 million. Um, that alone really uh, is astonishing given what we're talking about and having been there for nine years and having that little idea just about the most basic facts. If it comes to southern Afghanistan, and I said earlier, we believe that place is a, a very rural area and we see people living out in the villages and districts and maybe 30% in the, in the, in the city. Uh, if, if you would ask uh, representatives from the Canadian military who were responsible for southern Afghanistan before it, uh, the, the, the headquarters came in right now, um, they would tell you that they believe that 75 to 80 percent of all Afghans in Kandahar live in Kandahar city. Uh, if, if, if the discussion level is, if, if the disagreement about just the most basics of facts about a place is at that level that we can have these discussions, we really need to ask ourselves how much we actually know. Uh, there's definitely much work to be done and there's very little field work done. Uh, I, I, I personally have seen it a lot of times in Kabul where you have uh, uh, researchers coming in and they never leave Kabul and who the people they actually do interview are other foreigners who have maybe worked there for a year, for two years. There are a few experts around, not nevertheless, but, but it shows it's, it's, that is already second or third tier information they're using. There, there's, uh, obviously we've just outlined the pitfalls and then the, the difficulties of working with, in places like southern Afghanistan, but it's absolutely vital um, in order to create a, a deeper understanding of what's going on right now. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's uh, knowing that the international policymakers and governments use the information which is out there right now uh, is, is, is usually disturbing often to me and, and to, to, to both of us, I believe. Um, they often come from a specific angle. We have a, we have a lot of military re experts these days who, who conduct studies and, and advise on policy matters for governments in, in very high offices. Uh, yesterday evening we were uh, at a lecture given by uh, John Nagel, if I pronounce that right, um, uh, who, who was talking about uh, you know, the counterinsurgency and the future of conflict and so forth, who, who, who tended to, to, to name terrorism and insurgency in one sentence as if it would be the same thing. Uh, common with, painting things with a broad brush is, is, a, is a huge fault which, which just limits the option of dealing with, with problems like this. Um, because most definitely insurgency and terrorism is not the same thing. Uh, there are big disagreements about relationships. Uh, if, if, if you look towards Washington, uh, you will see a, a whole amount of, of, of senior scholars, people who have spent 29 years in the CIA, telling you that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban right now are the same thing. They have merged on the highest level, they're, they're, they're looking towards the far enemy, and so forth. Uh, then you will find people like, like us, um, and, and, and a variety of other people like Bernard Rubin probably, who will tell you that that is a very problematic view, and, and, and doesn't really take into account the history, the ideology, and also the relationship they had over the years. Um, just to, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating to see in a way that if you don't understand the place, you, you, you're not unlikely to find any real solutions. Um, and and a, a trial and error strategy w is, is very costly for, for the Afghan people and our friends who we see down there. Um, just to finish off with, with, a, with something which comes definitely out of Mullah Zayi's book through, and he says it over and over again, and it holds true. Uh, even we have more questions now. You know, you don't understand the place, and we don't. So that sort of wraps up what we wanted to show and talk about so far. Uh, thank you for coming.
open the ground to the discussion now. I'll actually start with a question myself and then I'll collect questions. So we're going to open the ground to discussion now, but we'll start with a question myself and then I collect questions from, from the public. Um, I mean, there are several things I would like to ask, but I, I leave myself to just one. Uh, in, in the book, uh, Mullah Zaif also describes his experience in a number of other government ministries, you know, because we moved around quite a lot of times. And I find, I find it interesting when I was uh, reading it. Uh, his experience in trying to reactivate some of Afghanistan few factories, no, uh, and the kind of resistance or indifference that he found within the the rest of the Taliban government or administration. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, what is your feeling about that? You know, I mean, how, in a sense, representative Mullah Zaif is of the Taliban as a movement, or is he kind of, you know? A, a, a member of a small minority of a, of a more like enlightened kind of Taliban. Does this work? Um, uh, I think that the, 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 the yes, it's, it, it's a very good question to, to, to ask about um, uh, uh, whether um, what Mullah Zaif writes in this book is, is representative of reality. Uh, the first thing we have to remember is that he lives in Kabul now um, uh, under some uh, level of, of, of restraint and, and house arrest in, in some way. Um, uh, there are things which uh, which he can't talk about in the book um, uh, because uh, to, 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 to kind of uh, hold out all the dirty laundry of, of the Taliban movement uh, would absolutely threaten his life. Uh, and in fact, um, when we first started working on this project, uh, Three or four years ago, this was this was one of the the, the initial problems. He, he didn't want to, to to get this text translated. He didn't want to, to get it published because he's worried uh, that he'd be killed for it. Um, so so yes, obviously there's 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 a there's a limitation to, to some of the things uh, he can talk about. Uh, but certainly on, on, on something like this this whole issue of, of um, state building and rebuilding the industries. Um, uh, uh, yes, his his perception is that. Um, uh, not so much that there was resistance uh, uh, internally to, to, uh, to reforming the, the industry and so on, but rather that, that there was problems internationally, uh, that the Taliban weren't getting any support from the UN, uh, that they were being discriminated against, that, that, that the international community uh, had more or less sidelined them. Uh, and, and I think this, this account of, of trying to, to uh, reform the industries uh, is very much a, a, an account of, of, of feeling uh, let down and having very uh, little resources. Um, if, you, if you read between the lines, uh, he then, uh, almost within the same paragraph, uh, starts talking about the big budgets which the Ministry of Defense and so on had. Uh, uh, that's something which, which you have to remember when you're reading the book, uh, that, that between the lines there are often the most interesting uh, insights. Um, uh, the fact that uh, he indicates that, that, that there was quite a lot of corruption within within the Ministry of Defense, that there were commanders who were there uh, more or less just for the money. Uh, yes, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's definitely part of, part of the answer to that question. Uh, just to, uh, is that actually on? Yeah. Just to elaborate a little bit more. Um, I think, yeah, the, the things he talks about, is, is, as Alex said, is a severe lack of resources. Um, he also points actually which, which, uh, to, to issues about when they started to be able to revive uh, parts of, 
of an of an industry and so forth they faced with with imports from other countries like Pakistan, for example, uh, where they talk to, where he talks a lot about how how the prices of the commodities were severely undercut and how when as soon as as they started to be able to produce something, a neighboring country would would allow for like tax exemptions for their industries who produce the same goods uh, and, and 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 would sell them for a, for a cheaper price on their market. Um, often in inferior, like he says, often in, in a severely inferior quality. Uh, there he makes several points about um, fertilizer um, and, uh, and and so forth. Uh, I think one of, one of the things you also have to remember that until the very end, the Taliban were in, in, in fighting a conflict and tried trying to to uh, get uh, fighting with Massoud um, and and what the Northern Alliance. Um, and spent most of their money and the money they got from, from various donors on, on, on that military front line. Um, there was very little in terms of what he got and to develop industries. The industries they developed is also kind of symptomatic for, for what you hear from people today because it's sort of modeled a little bit on what the Russians did uh, and during the communist times. It was, was the idea of like building huge industry complexes to give lots of people work. And you, that is something you hear a lot in southern Afghanistan or even in the north. We just took a trip a few months ago and, and, and visited several provinces in northern Afghanistan again. And, and you hear people saying, like, why is it that they don't rebuild one of our big industries? Why don't we have our textile mill, textile mill? Why don't we have these things which gives thousands of jobs? Um, that, that, that lingers in the back of their head, and you hear that a lot. People asking why we don't have these big projects which jobs to everyone, that that is not really a, a viable long-term solution is, is, is maybe maybe not that important, but that's, that's something also which resonates in, in, this, in the strategy of what they did, um, the Taliban, when they came to power. They actually were echoing a lot of, a, a lot of what the Russians had implemented, uh, specifically in Afghanistan. Okay. So. Could I ask uh, what you think the effect of the McChrystal surge will be in Kandahar and southern Afghanistan, and whether you think all this talk about reconciliation and reintegration whether that's going to work, I think to talk about that, to look at the, the, the effects of the surge as, as if it's something that's coming, um, uh, that, that, that we've already had quite a few surges uh, in, in, in previous years. Of course, the, 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 the extent of, of this one, the fact that you have... Uh, 30,000 uh, American soldiers coming down to, to southern Afghanistan. Obviously, this, this is a kind of exponential effect. Um, firstly, more soldiers mean, means more violence uh, uh, for, for Afghans. Uh, the, the, there needs to be, be no doubt about that. The, the idea that these soldiers are coming down uh, kind of as, a, as a, uh, a secret peace corps or, or this kind of thing, all the talk about winning hearts and minds and protecting the people uh, is... is somewhat of a, a, a moot point, I think. Um, uh, extra troops also means um, more money in terms of the, the, the local economy. Uh, we've seen a, a, a massive increase in terms of the number of construction projects which are being carried out in the south. Um, and these construction projects always breed new and, and further local conflict um, uh, within, uh, within Afghan construction companies particularly. Um, and, and, and this is that's uh, that's one of the problems uh, on that. Um, uh, one of the problems, of course, with, with the, the McChrystal surge is that it's uh, uh, a military surge. Um, and, and I know it's, it's, it's labeled and, and, and 
enclosed within this idea of, 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 of being part of a, a wider political strategy. Um, but I don't think we've seen this, this political strategy outlined yet, and it, it, particularly in, in, in the kind of detail. You know, we can talk about our wish list for Afghanistan in terms of governance, in terms of corruption, uh, all of these things. Uh, but it, even in the London conference uh, recently, uh, uh, I don't think there's, there's been a, 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 an agreement or a prioritization in terms of the goals of, uh, of the international community uh, politically. And, and that's, that, that really needs to be, to be the starting point. I think this, this political point is something which Felix can make to um, Yeah, reconciliation, obviously, that, that, that has been very dominant in, in, in the few presentations we've given so far. Um, we're really talking about two things. There's always the talk about reconciliation and this new fund, which they now put up where, they, where, where multiple people are pledged, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and then there, there is a second part, which is actually negotiations, which shouldn't be seen as, as the same thing at all. In terms of reconciliation and trying to get individual commanders or groups that might be affiliated with the Taliban out of that, out of that, that, that environment and putting them into the government, I think at the current moment this is relatively problematic. Um, one of the things which firstly comes to mind when I hear uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, is seeing half my friends in southern Afghanistan instantly become Taliban in order to be reconciled. Um, that, that sounds like a really funny, funny joke, but when you actually look at aid efficiency and the efficiency of programs which have been tried, and there have been a number of programs tried uh, along these lines, you're going to see uh, hundreds of millions of dollars evaporate into thin air and invested, okay, these days not anymore in Dubai and real estate. I guess these days they probably run open businesses in London. Um, but that is actually the fact. Um, so uh, seeing this is, is relatively problematic and, and because it is not embedded in anything a greater strategy. It's also the question of they, they want to re be reconciled with a government which lacks credibility, which is hugely corrupt, which is by many from the population not seen as, as a legitimate government. Um, and quite frankly, the Taliban believe they're winning. So if I would be perceiving myself to be on the winning side. Um, and they have, a, they have, in that way, they do have a long-term view because with sitting on the fences means you try to be good with everyone. And that, that gives you a lot of options for the future. You don't have to leave when the Taliban come. And uh, you can also sort of survive with the government which is in place right now. Um, you know, and there are various levels of support. So I, I see that, I think that this, this, uh, this fund which is put in place right now and we have very little details how this is actually supposed to be functionally working. Well, what are the processes? Who are going to be the individuals involved? And, and, and how are connections being made? Who is going to determine that that guy and this group of people are Talibs? Um, uh, when we don't even know how many people live in this place. Um, uh, I think this is hugely problematic. Uh, I guess the question about negotiations is going to come in a second, so I'll wait for that.
it also can work more out of curiosity. And good luck plays a very important role in life. This book has just a perfect time. So since it's a process that's been in the, in the workings for four years, can you tell us more about the time? On the negotiations issue, you mentioned yeah, the, the international community. I think the international community is the factor that has changed um, in this case. Uh, you've, uh, it also applies to, to, to some various other strategies which have been floated uh, throughout all these uh, American strategic reviews. Uh, I think we had six or seven uh, in the last, last year and a bit. Um, uh, the sense that um, southern Afghanistan is, is, is being lost or has been lost, uh, something that, 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 that came through uh, in, in the leaked uh, McChrystal report uh, to, to the U.S. government. Um, I think this, this, this uh, uh, yeah, sense, sense that, that, that uh, desperate measures are called for uh, leads people to, to, to desperate solutions. Uh, and, and, and the idea that, that suddenly, um, with uh, with a few hundred million dollars, you could buy back 75% of the people who are fighting against you, uh, uh, in a, from a position of desperation, is 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 incredibly attractive. Um, and and, and uh, I, I think uh, I think this this is this is this is the only. Uh, uh, thing uh, or, or, or reason why suddenly you have this, this U-turn uh, two or three years ago uh, yes, certain people were, were, were saying you know, reconciliation is important uh, and so on, but, but a plan like this uh, would, have, would have been uh, uh, pretty inconceivable I think um, uh, just on the, on, on the timings um, I, I think we would like to, to claim some kind of great plan, but really there was none um, and, and, and uh, the book talk uh, simply took a long time going through through the editorial process. Uh, also, there were there were complications to do with Mullah Zaif uh, being subject to, to United Nations sanctions. Um, and uh, yes, uh, four years ago when we started, we thought it would also be a good time uh, for the book to come out. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, now is as good as any other time. Yeah, no, I think you wrapped it up. Like it's 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 pretty much a point of desperation right now. Um, the only thing that has changed is that that you know uh, we we're winning everybody, but have have succeeded in losing most of the country by doing so. Um, and 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 hearing right now uh, statements from from President Obama of, of of starting to withdraw his troops, trying to put pressure on on actually his his own government and his own institutions in order to to give them more of a feel of urgency. Uh, you know, you should you should you should really see what that actually means. To to, the, I mean, that statement wasn't really made for Afghans or for their allies. That played very badly with everyone, and and most of the of the U.S. representative within the regions have been backpedaling ever since uh, on multiple occasions. And, and if anyone ever private talks to you, it's like, yeah, yeah, he said that, but you know, what does that mean? And we've got a long time involvement, and we're going to be there for a long time, and so forth and so forth. Uh, that statement was actually meant for his, for, for, for his own people, for his own government, um, and that really should show you uh, where, where where we are in terms of, of of the war and the progression of the war. Uh, okay, uh, thank you. Uh, can I have a closing debate on one um, basic fact? I mean, the war in the 80s, uh, which was fought in Afghanistan, was fought by the Soviet Union, 
as a Soviet war, and the term Shoraibi actually means Soviet. But um, my question is, what do you think, uh, what kind of lessons should have been learned from that war um, in relation to the present one? And um, which lessons have not been learned? And you mentioned, if I may, legitimacy and elections did nothing to uh, strengthen legitimacy and undermine legitimacy of the government. But what kind of legitimacy anybody can have in Afghanistan since after the monarchy has been overthrown? Because you can argue that many other successive governments after the and the quality also had legitimacy for some groups of people but not others, whatever the process of how they came to power and how they actually happened. So your views on what legitimacy in Afghanistan can mean in any meaningful uh, uh, sorry, and uh, maybe uh, just uh, because you intrigued us about uh, the deficit of knowledge. And very convincingly, um, of course, uh, but why? I do understand that now, of course, it is very difficult to do any uh, heroic research like you want. But uh, when the operation started, insecurity was not at that level. So, well, I was in Afghanistan in 2005, and it was possible to go uh, to most places and get access and collect some information. Why that has not been done? Just, just to start on that, that last point, I guess, the, the, the deficit, deficit of knowledge. Um, I mean, southern Afghanistan was, was a place that was more or less forgotten for, uh, for a very long time. And in fact, it's, it's probably only uh, last year uh, that you have a lot of um, uh, intense effort and, and, and worrying, particularly uh, in the United States, which is, is very much the driver of um, uh, funding for, for this kind of uh, research uh, and so on. And, Kandahar is, is, is a sufficiently remote and, 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 and distant place and, and uh, 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 different from, uh, from Kabul and isolated from uh, other internationals and, and so on to make um, going down to, to Kandahar to, to do research in the field uh, relatively um, uh, uninteresting or, 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 or for a lot of people. I mean, uh, I'm not sure whether there is any any bigger reason uh, than that. Certainly, until until uh, 2005, early 2006, uh, yes, you, you could do a lot. You can still do a lot, um, but uh, I'm not sure whether there's anything more than, than just it's it's um, it's a difficult place to live, and, and unless you, you you have a lot of friends, it's it's, it's impossible to, to work there unless you have support from from Afghans. Yeah, it's it's. it's very easy to, to completely uh, uh, end uh, end your work there. If, if someone wanted to make problems for us, uh, we wouldn't make it from from the airport into the city. Uh, you'd, you'd have something go wrong on the road. It's it's it's, it's very easy to to um, to to, uh, to create problems in that sense. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, I don't really know why there hasn't been more research. Um, uh, it has been a place which has been hugely influential, influential like the, the region uh, defined a, a lot of not just current history but before that as well but uh, 
Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. I'm also surprised that, that, that the U.S. government didn't have greater understanding, having operated their biggest uh, covert operation in Afghanistan previously. Uh, they, they, they came in with a blindfold. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 if I would have an explanation for that, I probably would write a very interesting book about it. Um, as for lessons learned from the Soviet war, um, obviously there haven't been a lot of lessons learned and we're trying to do a lot of the same things right now. Um, I think it was, even though it was a significantly different setting of, 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 of the enemy, um, the, the Soviet Union was, sorry, Russian Soviet Union, I know it's, it's a huge mistake. Oh. <laughs> Just uh, excuse my, uh, my fault on that one. Uh, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a very different scenario, I think, uh, in terms of the, of the enemy the Soviet Union and the 40th Army was, was facing from, from what we're seeing right now developing. And then there has been a significant change. What hasn't been really changing in a way is uh, the response of, of like the former military institutions. Um, uh, and and, and uh, I think we said that during the talk already, that, that, that they, they go through a lot of the same ways. Like there's a talk of tribal militias and so forth, which, which you had seen what, what happened. And that, for example, would be something they should have learned. That tribal militias, and I'm not talking about the entire Afghanistan, I'm talking about southern Afghanistan now, which, which used to, you know, it's Kandahar, Helmand, uh, uh, Uruzgan, and, and, and Zabul. Tribal militias in that area is Pandora's box. It's it's nothing which has any tradition in, in terms of the tribal structures, and and, and in, in the 90s it was the reason that the Russians actually when they pulled out they, they, the Soviet Union when they pulled out um, uh, uh, substituted the, 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 that 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 power vacuum by financing a huge militia program. Basically, uh, the Najibullah regime did a buy-off. They bought local commanders. They bought local uh, uh, militias and keep them silent with lots of money. And as soon as that money dried up, uh, we had uh, what was referred to to, to, to Pakistan, the, the chaos, uh, absolute chaos, which gave rise to the Taliban in the end. Because these, these people, you cannot reconcile. Like, you cannot put them back into the system. It's, if you have a militia, you don't integrate a militia in southern Afghanistan into a formal, formal uh, fighting force afterwards. That doesn't happen for you. Um, so that would, for example, that would be a major point for me that they should have learned out of that experience. Um, huh? Oh, the legitimacy of government. Um, right, difficult question, I think. Uh, a, we would have to look at how, how the monarchy actually governed Afghanistan to an extent and how did that law work on a very local basis. Like who were the, who were the government representatives in a way who created the outreach, and there was quite an outreach into into the, to the villages. And I'm talking again about southern Afghanistan because uh, that's the place I know best. Um, and 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 kind of like what kind of structures they used, and and there are uh, there are like relevant leaders and 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 who, who kind of like maintain even today after all these years being severely weakened uh, um, through the communist times in Afghanistan and so forth, where a lot of them, where a lot of this leadership has been disposed, where new commanders with lots of money took over leadership positions within tribes, which traditionally didn't belong to them. They were completely different people as well, who then started, well, because they had lots of money, they started buying lots of land, and they're still the same people who are in power in a lot of ways right now. Um, so this traditional leadership, there are a few glimpses of that still existing, and there's, a, there's in a lot of tribes the, the momentum to try to get back a tribal shora, which addresses the needs and grievances of its own people. Um, and most of those are not part of the current government. 
like since 2001 when we first came in, we came in with certain kind of allies in southern Afghanistan. And these allies kind of like captured local government structures. It's, it's about three, four tribes who dominate lo the local government and have systematically pressed out and sidelined other tribes and targeted them through their connections with the, with the yes. So, so there are other structures we can engage and, and could, could be engaged in to bring to the table to have a bigger representation of the local population who, who then has, has, has more access to, to services and, and, and ways they understand how to access those services. Right now we have, a, for most people, it's very opaque how, how, how the justice system in Afghanistan works at all um, and, and how to approach it. But, but you need a huge amount of money because you need to bribe the judge just to come through a door. But like, so, so there, that, there goes something for your legitimacy. Uh, I think probably also with legitimacy, um, there needs to be a, a wider, wider discussion and an exploration of, of, of the whole idea of, of, of governance in the South um, and going back to, to the Afghan constitution in, in, in 2001 and, and the, the ways that's, that's slightly problematic. Um, I think probably the, 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 the way uh, we're moving forward in, in southern Afghanistan is, is uh, uh, maybe towards some kind of uh, devolution of, of the central government uh, and, uh, and handing powers down uh, on, on a more local level. Um, uh, that, that also goes to, to, to the legitimacy question uh, as to whether you know, local powers uh, 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 have more legitimacy, with, um, particularly in, in the districts and so on, than, than this idea of, of the central government, uh, which, which, which doesn't really. First, you, you rightly pointed out the problem of the unreliability of information um, concerning Afghanistan. Do you have any estimates, even if personal, as to how broad the, the social support base of the Taliban is in Afghanistan in general, but in the question of tribes specifically? And um, secondly, concerning uh, negotiation, if, if the military balance to a situation where there was something like a mutually hurting stalemate between the Taliban and, and Western forces, do you think that negotiations would be a viable possibility that negotiations would bring an end to the war? Do you think that it would be a viable option at all? And if so, would you endorse it? Yeah, uh, obviously, I, I think at the moment, and you've had Mama Crystal saying this quite openly, um, that, that, that this idea of a, of a military push and, and to try and put the Taliban in, in, in a, a, a defensive position. Uh, the, to put the, the, the Taliban into, into a defensive position now as, as a kind of precondition for, for beginning negotiations, uh, yeah, this is, this is the big plan. Um, uh, firstly, I, I question whether whether it's going to be possible to, to, to force that, that military uh, push, particularly um, since um, uh, a lot of the, 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 the key assets and, and leaders and so on of the Taliban are, are sitting quite comfortably in Quetta. Uh, one thing a lot of our friends often, often say to us that they travel back and forth from, from Kandahar to Quetta having houses there and so on, uh, and, and they say, you know, uh, I don't really know what all this, this fuss is about the Taliban leadership in Quetta. Uh, I went to, to X and X area uh, and I saw this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and you get a list of, of, of uh, you know, five or six of the, the most senior members of the Taliban uh, 
and you know I know this guy he lives in this area or if you go on Friday to, to this park you can find you know uh, two or three hundred Talibs um, picnicking um, there's this 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 uh, yeah pe people don't really understand um, what's going on there uh, it, it, that, that's maybe a side point um, so I, I don't really um, uh, think it's possible um, uh, to, to, to kind of force this this military stalemate um, particularly given that uh, the the Taliban, um, uh, it's not as if the, the Taliban are, a, are a, a foreign force operating within southern Afghanistan. They're very much part of the, uh, of the community and, and the social structures and so on. And in, also in the south, you, you have this uh, uh, environment where um, everything is blurred. Uh, the lines, uh, even between the government and the Taliban, uh, and, and we always talk about these two things as if they're, they're, they're kind of opposite forces. Um, but it, it's very much blurred. Uh, in many cases, the, 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 the government official has known his, his Taliban shadow uh, counterpart since childhood, maybe, um, and, and, and has conversations over the phone weekly uh, in a quite cordial, mass, uh, quite cordial manner. Um, so, so this this kind of uh, blurring um, complicates things, uh, and it goes back to, to what Felix was saying about, about this 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 uh, uh, top counterinsurgency. Uh, Guru, I guess that we heard last night, um, who was talking about um, yeah the, the the insurgency and the, the, the idea of the enemy in southern Afghanistan, I think is is a problematic concept. Um, who who is the enemy, particularly when when you're talking about what what the local uh, population perceives? Um, I'm not sure, so sure we have a, have an answer that can be useful in terms of uh, solving uh, solving the conflict and moving on to, to negotiations yet. Um, a number, putting a number uh, uh, to, to how many people support the Taliban movement. Super complicated. I don't know if I can give a real answer to that. Um, I can explore it a little bit for you if you like. Um, a, there are multiple different fractions within the Taliban, and a lot of people fight for very different reasons, different motivations, why they fight, why they're picking up their fight. Um, in a lot of rural areas, you know, the Taliban, as, as do we, have uh, multiple times adjusted their tactics. It used to be very, very ruthless. You would have people like Mullah Abdullah and, 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 and uh, videos of 32 decapitations of, of Afghan spies in villages and so forth emerging where, where, where they used their stick, so to say. Um, these days we're, we hear far, far, far other tunes about uh, civilian casualties that they don't want to have in their operations anymore, like... Uh, uh, the, very, very dominantly, the, the last attack in Kabul, the, the, the spectacular attack, uh, the Taliban uh, or the, the, the fighters who went into these houses told everyone to clear out, um, and that that is a relatively significant uh, a thing actually if you look to it. Um, they have also in southern Afghanistan they have readjusted a, little, a few of their policies, which alienated a lot of people concerning birds, uh, beards, concerning. Um, uh, television and music and and so forth. Uh, so so there is a, there is a uh, there are a lot of people I feel in southern Afghanistan and you always need to look very regional because uh, in in northern Afghanistan you will see a pretty different picture. Uh, one of the things people always mention is like it's a Pashtun movement. That most definitely is wrong. It is a movement which has a predominant Pashtun part, like that way around we can agree on because specifically when it comes to northern Afghanistan uh, we have 
they have made good inroads into the Tajik communities. At least two governors of the Taliban shadow government in northern Afghanistan are Tajik, um, and they're, they're very specifically targeting other ethnic groups and make a great deal of strength in order to, to, to say, tell people that they are you know, a movement united by ideology and not, not by ethnicity. But, but you still can see, obviously, like there's a, a, a great majority of people who support them right now are, are Pashtun communities. Um, so in southern Afghanistan, I think for various kind of reasons, because the government is legitimate, you, when you, as soon as you leave the city and you come to the rural areas, uh, you will have very great support for the Taliban currently. Um, it also goes to, to, uh, to, to how you define the Taliban and how people define themselves as Taliban. Um, uh, yeah, you can you can split it up in all sorts of ways, uh, and, and you can call you can say a talib is anyone who claims that he is a talib. Uh, within that definition, then you get all these these people who are fighting uh, for for uh, reasons which which may have nothing to do with with the Taliban movement uh, and so on, and, and things that people um, would would uh, would want to support from from Quetta criminals and, and, and all of this. Uh, for the moment, uh, the movement are, are, are in, in, in the south and are, are relatively happy to, to, to keep these, these people on board um, uh, because it, it, it expands their influence and authority and, and, and various things. But uh, were there to be some kind of um, grand deal or, or takeover in the south or, or, or something like this, uh, you, would, you would then have... Um, all of these uh, extraneous elements to, 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 the, to the main uh, goals and, and so on of, of the, the, the core Taliban, I think you, you, you would have a, a, a quite extensive purge of all of these elements. We no, still no, we live in Kandahar. You could make it general by saying, you know, there are some people um, who obviously have have managed to gain some legitimacy with the ordinary folks, even though they're governors, and there are others who haven't. Um, that, that's if you could keep it general. I think one of the problems, particularly when you're talking about uh, governors and, and so on in Kandahar, people tend to, to discount the, 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 the government in general. Um, and uh, yes, if you have a, a governor who was originally part of the, 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 the social fabric, uh, like Shirzai was uh, originally, let's say, um, uh, then, then, then people uh, will say, yes, okay, we, 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 we understand and, and, and we see that, that this institution or, or office has some kind of meaning, uh, but the meaning has nothing to do with uh, the government's attachment of, of governor to this guy. Uh, he was a big guy before and still is down, down in Kandahar. Um, and, and the same goes for, for things like uh, Ahmed Wali Karzai. Um, it, 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 it's independent of, of, uh, of his, his government role and, and so on. Any influence that he does have. In Britain, 
if you look at councils around Britain, you, you know people who, you know, local people support some aspects of the, um, you know, the, the, the mayor or whoever it is or whatever system we're dealing with, and, and others don't, and they have a bad press. All I'm trying to do is get a feeling of a comparison between Canterbury and Helmand of people's feelings about their, um, their governors and, and the whole administration that, that supports them in terms of um, you know how 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 honest they feel they are, how how they can do business with them, whether they have respect, whether they have the, you know these are people you could work with um, in a sort of stakeholder way. I, I don't really mind. How ob- ob- obviously, people have um, have opinions about the, about the governors uh, in in their own provinces, absolutely, and, and, and people have very strong opinions about the governor. Governor in Kandahar, people have strong opinions about Ahmadwali. Uh, what they don't really have uh, is this this uh, comparison. Uh, they're not looking from 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 another experience because um, for the majority of people, they're they're in one place. They only want know one thing. Uh, they might hear something from from what's going on in Helmand, but it, it, it it's quite remote. Uh, the experience of uh, and certainly um, in terms of general day-to-day discussions, it's never come up with, uh, 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 wouldn't it be nice if, if, if we had a, 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 the governor from, from the neighbouring province uh, or so on. It, it, people just don't make that, that comparison. Um, just take the mic away from you. Um, uh, what people do make is, is a comparison about the governors they had in the past. Like, and, but but, but um, yeah, so uh, there are people being, being mostly judged by what they did. And, and, and that's that's always the case, and it starts with with, with 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 for example how much city power we have right now. Like in the run up to the elections, surprisingly, we had 12 to 14 hours city power a day. Uh, before that and after that, that has been never seen again. Right now, we're on. If we're lucky, we have about two hours. Everybody, every two days, yeah, two hours every two days. Sorry. Uh, and and. That being one thing, but I think, and specifically when it comes to Kandahar, people judge the, the governor and, and, and people in offices more towards their security and what they do in that field. Um, you always hear, you know, because there are governors who are more operating in like agriculture and development, and, and these people are, are often perceived as, as weak. Um, and, and people like 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 Shirzai, who, who have a very different history, um, uh, whose father was a Mujahideen leader. Uh, who fought in Kandahar and he himself fought with, at times with them. Uh, very different standing. What you, what you have to see is then you have to look at who supports them and who you're talking to. Uh, people normally wear, don't wear uh, a shirt which says which tribe they're from. But that will very much influence what they say. Um, Shirzai, for example, is Barakzai. There is an alliance of different tribes surrounding the Barakzai tribe. Uh, these people will be very supportive um, because they greatly benefit from if you, on the other hand, talk to to to, to tribes like like the Nurzai out of that, um, you will hear very very different opinions because they're systematically sidelined by the government from, from that put in, was put in place by Bashir Zai.